Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now we've taken a pause in the book of Matthew for a couple of Christmas messages. Here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Luke 2 and Philippians 2 called Heaven Came Down. For the next week, until you get to Christmas, let's all challenge each other. How about we have a mindset that was also in Christ Jesus? That we look to see how we can help other people. You might discover that you'll have the best Christmas of all if you adopt this mindset. Because you'll truly be a blessed person. It's a lifestyle, it's an attitude, it is something that you can choose to do with God's help. And this is something that the apostles were struggling with as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. They continued to fight over which one of them was going to be the greatest. And uh, Jesus told them at one point in Mark 10, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be mocked, spit upon, crucified. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And the apostles still were arguing about which one was going to be the greatest. And still, they were saying, we want the superior positions on your right hand and on your left. And Jesus said, no, that's not how it goes here, boys. When uh, theologians look at Philippians chapter 2, they say that the the greatest illustration of Jesus' condescension, his humiliation, being God and becoming man, is pictured in his washing of the disciples' feet. They had made Passover preparation, and Pastor Chris took us through that text in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things that would happen in those days is everybody wore sandals, so you would pick up dust on your feet uh, with the, the dirt roads and so forth. And nobody thought at the Passover meal to wash the disciples' feet. So think about it. Here they are. There's 13 gentlemen in this room. They all have picked up dust on their feet. They're going to have a Passover meal, and everybody's feet are dirty. And so you would, you would lay down, and, and, and you would extend your feet behind you, but everybody had dirty feet. That's kind of a gross thing, isn't it? So Jesus did something remarkable since nobody else was willing to do it. And maybe a few people thought about it. A few people may have looked at everybody's feet and said, Oy vey. <laughs> But I'm not going to do it. How many of us have this phrase in our mind quite often? I'm not going to do it. I don't know who's going to do it. But I'm not going to do it. And we run into a myriad of situations in life where we think as Christians, someone else will take care of that. Calls go for support, for missionaries and uh, needs in churches. And we think somebody else has got that. Somebody else will take care of that. And Jesus said, no, I'll take care of it. And he took off his outer garments, poured water into a basin, And he began to wash their feet. And what's remarkable about what he did is it's a picture of his humiliation coming down as God from heaven to earth. But it's also something incredible about who he is because he showed his love. He showed his mindset of a servant. He deemed others more significant than himself. And this is, of course, the the reason that he went to the cross is that he deemed you more important than his suffering and pain. He deemed you more important 
than a temporary setting aside of the full prerogatives of deity. He loved you so much that he gave himself. What he had to do was terrible. It was the most terrible way to die. He didn't just become a human. He became a human to die in the most terrible way you could ever die. And he did it for love. And he did it for me. Peter, you know, when the Lord came to Peter, and what what is also something to consider is that he washed Judas' feet as well in that upper room. Would you have? If you knew what he was about to do to you, would you have washed his feet? You know, sometimes we pick and choose, right? Well, I'll do that for him, but not for him. I'll do that for her, but not for her. And Jesus washed Judas' feet as well. It's it's an incredible scene. See, this is the way he loves, and we're challenged to love the same way. If I were just to ask you to pause for a second and ask you a very personal question, how do you think you're doing in that area? How would you respond? Can you think of the last time that you loved in this way? That you looked to someone else as more significant than yourself? As we get into the second part of the text, we've got the Christmas attitude. Now we're going to see how Jesus was, uh, who he he actually is. Look at verse 6. It says, Who although uh, existed in the form of God, if you have an NIV, it says being in very nature God. Now we're going to pause here for a second because it's easy to pass this by, but in verse 6 it says, Although he existed in the If you're interested in Greek words here, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. It's morphe, M-O-R-P-H-E. He existed in the form of God is morphe. Jesus is God, but Jesus came down. And what Paul is saying is that he existed in the morphe of God. Here's the word. I'm going to give you some definitions because it's really important to understand this. Morphe is a word that refers to the essence, nature, or substance of of a thing that is seen. It is an external form of an internal nature or substance. Morphe is therefore properly the nature or essence, not in the abstract, but as actually subsisting in the individual and retained as long as the individual itself exists. Thus, in this passage before us, Morphe Theo is the divine nature actually inseparably subsisting in the person of Christ. For the interpretation of the form of God, it is sufficient to say that it includes the whole nature and essence of deity. A a good parallel verse is Colossians 2.9. It says, In Him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The true meaning of morphe in the expression form of God is confirmed by its reoccurrence in the corresponding phrase, form of a servant. It is universally admitted, this is from Vine's Expository Dictionary, that the two phrases are directly, directly antithetical and that form must therefore have the same meaning or the same sense in both. John Calvin says, The form of God means here His majesty. For as man is known by the appearance of his form... So the majesty which shines forth in God is his figure. Creedally, we say of Jesus, he is light of light. 
We must note that form of God does not refer simply to his external appearance, but to his being. B.B. Warfield says Paul does not simply say he was God. He says he was in the form of God, employing a turn of speech which throws emphasis upon our Lord's possession of the specific quality of God. Form is a term which expresses the sum of those characterizing qualities which make a thing the precise thing that it is inside and out. And I'm sorry for all the technical language, but this is really important. In fact, in the early centuries of the church, this was a, uh, uh, they wanted to be as specific as possible to make sure that everyone knew who Jesus was. So there were early church councils in Nicaea and so forth. And they, they debated this so that there would be precision as to Christ's person. But you need to know that this teaching was around in the early church. It was just clarifying the precise understanding of it so that everybody was clear on who Jesus actually is. When our Lord is said to be in the form of God, therefore he is declared in the most expressed manner possible to be all that God is. To possess the whole fullness of attributes which make God, God. We do a program called The Bible Answer Show, and it's on at noon on KBRT. And we had a gentleman call in. He was very honest, and he said, Look, I have a different view than most Christians because I believe that Jesus is a created being and that he is lesser than God the Father or God Almighty. And we said, Well, with all due respect, sir, uh, that's not the case. And he said, Well, prove me wrong. Uh, show me the scriptures. And we went to John 1 1 and We talked, I think, about Colossians 1. But in the end, what grabbed this man was Philippians 2 when it says he did not regard equality with God a thing to be, what? Grasped. You see, Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father. And the only way you can be equal with God the Father is to be God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1 1, 1. and John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John 1.1 1, 1, when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It goes on to say that this word is the creator of everything. John 1.1 1, 1 is an allusion to Genesis 1.1 1, 1, where it says in the beginning what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. There are parallels. It's an allusion from John 1 to Genesis 1. What's the beginning? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. Now we believe that when He created the heavens and the earth, He created time. So if Jesus is there in the beginning, then we'd have to say he's, He was there before the beginning began. And if you're there before the beginning began, then you must be the beginner. Amen? Amen? And if you're the beginner, then you are God. You see, God says all over the Bible, to whom will you compare me? To whom will you make my equal? Well, there's nobody who's equal to God unless they are God. Now, some of you say, but if God the Father is God, how can God the Son be God? How can the Holy Spirit be God? I don't know. <laughs> You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Hey, I'm producer Rob. Since we began on this journey of reaching out with God's truth to all people, we have grown to be on eight radio stations. Now, we're excited to tell you, this month we have begun broadcasting in San Diego. So if you're listening from there, welcome. We hope that this teaching is a blessing to you. So now we're on two radio stations in Southern California, one in Northern California in the Bay Area, Arizona, Idaho, Utah, and two in Georgia, reaching people from all walks of life and faiths. In addition, we have listeners all over the world, like in South Africa, Nepal, Australia, the United Kingdom, Pakistan, and Israel, thanks to our podcast. The country where we have the second most listeners is India. Fewer than 3% of the population are Christians there. The point is, the hope of the gospel is getting around. If you are a financial partner, thank you for recognizing the importance of Walk in Truth by giving at least $5 a month and for praying for people's lives to be changed through hearing and responding to the messages aired each week. Through our partnership together, Walk in Truth has been able to carry God's message of hope to thousands of listeners who may be feeling stress, confusion, and hopelessness. And also, thank you for contributing to the joy in learning God's Word and feeling Him close. Now, Walk in Truth's total budget for radio airtime, promotion, equipment, supplies, the podcast, and staffing is over $150,000 a year. Our goal has always been to become 100% listener-supported and to expand into more radio stations as God provides. Now, our current level of listener financial support is not quite 50% yet, and we are praying for more listeners to become part of the Walk in Truth team. Can you give a one-time tax-deductible Christmas gift today? or become a monthly partner of at least $10 a month, please help us reach 50% listener support before the year ends. Call 844-48-TRUTH to give. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH or give at walkintruth.com. And thank you so much in behalf of Pastor Michael and the whole Walk in Truth team. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you to all our Walk in Truth financial partners, and be sure to check out our Walk in Truth app, available in your app store. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Can God the Son be God? How can the Holy Spirit be God? I don't know. (laughs) Three in one, one in three. I know. It's hard to put it up on a chalkboard, but here's the thing. In Philippians 2, Verse 6, it says, Although he existed in the morphe of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. See the word equality in Greek? It's a word called isos. Isos. I-S-O-S. So I was thinking of an isosceles triangle. An isosceles triangle is a triangle that's what? What was that? That was a lot of muttering right there. Kids, what's an isosceles triangle? Triangle that's equal on all sides. So sometimes what you see when someone's trying to depict the Trinity is a triangle, says God in the middle, and then it has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each are equal to each other, each one are God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son. The Father sent the Son... The Spirit descended upon Jesus at His baptism. They are distinct and yet one. Here's a good way to think of it. And I'll give credit to Joe Kelly on a recent broadcast. God is one what 
and three who's. One God and three persons or personalities. This is the Trinity. People say, but that's difficult. It's hard to understand it. How can God be one and three and three and one? Again, I don't completely understand it. I can read the scriptures and apprehend it. I might not fully comprehend it, but that's what makes God God. How do you explain in the beginning God spoke the universe into existence? You can't. And yet he did it because his power is beyond our comprehension. His glory is higher than some of us can even imagine. And this God became a baby in Bethlehem. You see, when I begin to understand who he is, I'm in more awe of what he did. I'm in more awe that he was born in a cave or a stable. I'm in more awe that there was no room in the inn. I'm in more awe that he was born to a, a servant, or a, not a servant girl, but a, a, a girl that was pretty much unknown, probably 14 years of age. Her name was Mary, in a nowhere town named Nazareth. This is the incredible nature of who God is. And God became one of us. When Jesus was praying in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he said he was going to return to the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. Lo, within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. The one who spoke the universe into existence is the one who died for you, my friend. I was on the golf course one time and I had uh, struck up a conversation with a, a gentleman and we had played several holes of golf together and I asked him if he uh, knew who God was or had a relationship with Jesus Christ and he goes, oh, I'm not sure about all that and I have my doubts and I said, when you look around you, sir, and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, this creation, some six million, six million forms of plants and animals, the diversity of life, the creative power of what you see out there, the balance that it takes, where do you think this all came from? And he goes, that's a good argument. And I just simply gave him the order, the argument from creation. We are in a building. A building means there was what? A builder. When you look at a painting and you're in awe, it means there was a painter. And when you have a creation, it means that there's a creator. You see, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen by what's been made. And he was, he was listening. And I said, did you know something? The Bible says the one who made all of this is the one that died for you. And I went right from creation to the cross. And I think you can do that. I think you and I can make it very simple for people. And when we're, we run into agnostics and skeptics, just go from creation because nobody can deny that creation cries out for a creator and then go to the cross and say, do you know that this creator died for you on the cross? I mean, that's a quick one-two punch, isn't it? But it's filled with a lot of power and it's the reality of what the Bible teaches. The one who made us is the one who died for us. He stepped out of the glory of heaven. One writer says Jesus could surely have chosen to step back into the personal glory of heaven should he chose, but he didn't. He chose the cross for us. He chose to die that we might live. 
Verse 7 says he emptied himself. The ESV and NIV says he made himself nothing, taking on the form, there's that word morphe again, of a bondservant. That's the word doulos. And a bondservant can be a voluntary slave. He was made in the likeness of men. When you saw Jesus on the earth, to my knowledge, you saw him as a man because that's exactly what he was. He was 100% man and 100% God. Jesus Christ did not subtract his deity. God cannot stop being God. He took on the additional nature of humanity. Very important distinction. God did not stop being God. He just clothed himself in humanity. And this is part of the mystery of what we call the incarnation, which simply means he became flesh. See the word emptied there? It's kanao in Greek, and it, it has the idea of to make empty, to lay aside. Um, Jesus never stopped being God, but what he did was veil his glory in humanity. He veiled his glory in humanity. And a good way to, to see a picture of when he showed a little bit of the glory was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, he takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain and he was transfigured and his face shone like the sun and they were blown away. And Moses and Elijah show up and they end up fading into the background and the only one that's standing there is Jesus. He gave them a little taste of who he actually is. And I don't know if this is uh, the best way to put it, but he kind of just went, Just let him get a little glimpse, right, of who he is. He showed his glory up on the mountain. He showed who he truly is. And he said, I want these who have followed me, Father, to share in that glory. Jesus Christ became like us, that we might become like him. You've been listening to Heaven Came Down, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's Christmas message in Luke 2 and Philippians 2. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel. Or perhaps you have questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael one more time before we go. Well, yesterday as we closed the broadcast, we talked a little bit about the example of Jesus and we're to have that mind in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And sometimes when we think about having that mindset, it can feel like a lot of pressure falls to us, like I need to be the perfect Christian or I've got to be that person that, you know, is the giver among, you know, what can be a, let's face it, a very self-centered holiday where people make it all about what they're going to get. So what do I do? How do I change my mindset? Well, I think having that mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, makes you look at Christ Jesus. As I mentioned yesterday, it makes you peer into his person. And you think about what he set aside. The You could say he set aside the prerogatives of deity. He never stopped being God, but he took on humanity. He took on uh, human limitation. 
at least to some degree. He entered into our pain. He became one of us. And when you start to think about what Jesus did, then what we do by comparison really pales, doesn't it? And it puts things into perspective for us. And so I would just say this, the more you keep your eyes on Jesus, the more this will be about him and him just simply overflowing from your life into the lives of others. This is Pastor Michael Lance. And speaking of pouring into the lives of others, many of you have become Walk in Truth partners. We are grateful for your prayer and support. And, you know, the end of the year, we are always looking at things. And one thing that we're looking at is how well are we doing as a ministry in terms of support? If you'd like to come alongside us as a Walk in Truth partner, we would be blessed to have you. You can go to walkintruth.com and click on the donate button. That's walkintruth.com. Click on that donate button. And you can partner with us today. And look, when you give, you're helping someone else get the word of God and also hear the gospel. And we appreciate all of our partners. Hey, if you can partner with us during this Christmas season, even a one-time gift would be awesome. It's walkintruth.com. Click on that donate button. And we'll see you right here tomorrow. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's Christmas teaching in Luke 2 and Philippians 2 called Heaven Came Down. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.